So this morning we're talking about communion. And we're going to take kind of a unique approach to it. We're going to call it looking back, looking forward. And you're going to see how that unfolds here as we go. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we focus ourselves now to hear your word, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the opportunity to come into your house. Father, right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just be present among us. Lord, we know that you're already here, but we want to be intentional in our invitation to you this morning. So Lord, come. Come and be among us as we look at the truth your word holds. As we look at this beautiful ordinance that you set apart for us. Father, change our hearts this morning because we've been in your presence. Lord, right now, I ask that you would touch the hearts and the ears of those who are listening in today to receive this word. And I pray over myself and over Bob that you would touch our lips with a refining coal and that we would speak only the words which you have given us and none of our own. And we thank you, Lord, and we love you and give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to start us off with the looking back part of communion. If you want to start out by turning to Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with one of their nearest neighbors, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roast over the fire, along with bitter herbs, and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or, or boiled in water, but roast it over the fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left until morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. This is the Lord's Passover. This is the first institution of the Passover. Okay? So when I'm reading this, I think a couple of things. I think about everything that's going on right now, right? You're talking about plagues. These instructions are probably just a little bit unnerving the first time they're received. I have to imagine that as Moses is giving the instructions to the people of Israel and saying, do this and do it this way, people's minds are probably scrambling a little bit. 
because they know, they've seen enough by this point in the Old Testament to know if they mess this up, they're probably going to get struck dead, right? So it's probably just a little bit scary, but this was the feast institution, okay? Um, One thing, anytime that I read this passage, I always make sure to point out for anybody that's never heard me say it one of the 875,000 times I've said it, when they applied the blood to the door frame, it was on the sides and on the top, never on the bottom, because the blood is sacred and never to be trod underfoot. Remember that, that's important. Okay, so this is the initial institution of the Passover. Now we come across it again in Leviticus chapter 23. And in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, it says this These are the Lord's appointed festivals. The sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So when we're running across it here in Leviticus, this is the feast designation as sacred. So now we know that this wasn't a one-time event. This wasn't just something that God said, all right, you have to go through this step, this step, and this step, and I will pass over you. But now we know that this is something God is going to do continuously, okay? Now, we as New Testament believers have an understanding of the foreshadow of the prophecy that we read in Exodus, right? Because there's a sacrificial lamb involved, and just like us, we had a sacrificial lamb, yes? Somebody say amen. Okay, so by the time we're coming to this in Leviticus, it's probably not as scary anymore. There might still be a slight element of fear because we're still talking Old Testament and they still might get struck dead. But for the most part, it's probably not going to be as scary because they're getting used to it. They've seen this before. And now, because it's not so scary, they're recognizing it as a time of remembrance and celebration. And so that's what we have whenever we come to communion, is a time of remembrance and celebration. So from Leviticus to the Gospels, to the time that Jesus is breaking bread with his disciples, there's like, there's about 12 to 1500 years that elapse here. Okay, and, and that's a long time, right? That's a long time to keep a festival sacred. But then you think about Jesus, and he comes around the table with his disciples. Okay, uh, so we're in Matthew. I like the Gospel of Matthew um, from chapter 26, verses uh, 17 to 30. Um, and... and so that I don't go into a coughing fit. I'm not going to read you this whole thing. Hold on, I'm going to mute because I'm going to cough anyway. Excuse me, still getting over it. <laughs> yeah, Marsha started it. So in Matthew 26, uh, verses 17 to 30, Jesus is around the table with his disciples. And it's important for us to know that when Jesus gathered around this table, he would have celebrated this feast exactly 
precisely according to the law of Moses. Okay? No doubt in our minds because Jesus was Jewish. And so Jesus comes to the table with his Jewish disciples and he says, we're going to celebrate this exactly as we're supposed to. But Jesus takes it and he does this really cool thing and he changes it forever. Whoa, right? Kind of reminds me of last week. This changes everything. Well, his birth changed everything and so did his last supper. Changed everything. So Jesus is around the table and what he's saying as he's gathered around with his disciples is now we're here and we're going to celebrate this feast. And as we celebrate, he's saying to his disciples, know this, in this moment, I am telling you, I am now fulfilling the prophecy that was given 1,500 years ago. Whoa! Folks, this changes everything. And now we look back and we see all of this that God has done. Now, one thing um, that I like, and, and, I, and I don't think a lot of preachers will do what I'm about to do, but I'm just daring enough to give it a whirl. <laughs> when you come to verse 30 in chapter 26, it says this, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. What did they sing? Does anybody know? The answer is we actually do know. We have to look into Jewish tradition to find out. But it comes from Psalm 118. And listen to these words. Psalm 118, verses 21 through 24. It's called the Halal. And it's this hymn of praise that they would have sang at the end of the festival meal. And it says this, I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. I'm going to read that again so that it sinks into mm. you. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Now, push that into New Testament context. Can you imagine Jesus singing this hymn with his disciples, knowing what's coming tomorrow? I'm being for real. Mm -hmm. Knowing what tomorrow holds, he knew. And yet he said, you answered me. You became my salvation. You have done this. This is marvelous in our eyes. Let us rejoice and be glad. In the late 60s, early 70s, we had the Jesus movement. Anybody alive for that? 
I wasn't. I wish I was. <laughs> I wish I was. Man, I'd have been on a motorcycle on my way to Cali right now. <laughs> my long fringy vest on, blowing in the wheeze. I'd have been a good hippie. But the Jesus movement, how many of you have seen Jesus Revolution? All right. Let me tell you. In Jesus Revolution, there is a scene that sticks out to me. And I think about it every single week when we take communion. Because for some reason, Christians in America today, all these years after the Jesus movement, we've, we've I'm going to say it, we've hyper-legalized communion to where it has to be sad and, and grueling. And really, it's supposed to be celebratory. And so in, in Chuck Smith's church, when Lonnie Frisbee the hippie comes in, he's sitting across the church, you know, and he's got maybe six people sitting with him. The rest of the church is full. Yeah. And, and so they go to have communion. And as he holds up that cup and Chuck Smith says, and this is for your sins, Lonnie Frisbee says, yeah, for my sins. <clears throat> and half the church is like, oh, can you imagine? But what if we felt that way? And, and I, folks, I share this with you because I think of this every week because I feel this way. When we, when we peel back that cup, difficult as it may be, <laughs> this past week I learned there's one thing more difficult to open, that's Tylenol cold and sinus. <laughs> but when we peel back the foil on that cup, it's, it's like, yeah, for my sins, for my healing, for me. You did this for me. Oh. It's celebration. It's exciting. Because we know that while we can look back on communion, we also have something to look forward to. We sure do. I've been part of um, churches where they had that somber communion tradition. Somber isn't even the word. Sometimes you could almost say morbid. You're supposed to be morbid and depressed at communion. And uh, I just didn't agree with it. Um, and one of the things that shocked me well into my Christian life, well into the time I'd been a pastor, was I realized that in all three Gospels, when Jesus gives the words for communion, he points us forward to the time when we will have fellowship with him and drink of the cup in heaven with him. For years, it never even occurred to me because no one had ever mentioned it at communion. And since then, I've barely talked about anything else because I still feel like I've just discovered it. And I don't know what I was doing all that time and why I didn't see it. Look forward. Communion points us forward. <clears throat> Notice in the bottom of your outline. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. 
he said to them, Jesus, of course, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. This is incredible, incredible stuff. And here's what I want you to do with me. We're going to do something a little unique today. I would like you to um, imagine, do some Bible meditation. You know what that is? You read the Bible and you meditate. You think about it. And if it's, a, if it's an account of the life of Jesus, for example, in the Gospels, you say, what would it be like to be there? What would it feel like to be there? So I'm going to ask you if we would all take a few minutes and go back to the Last Supper. A couple, couple pointers. It was in an upper room. It was undoubtedly dim because they didn't have lights like this. So it was lit by candlelight, maybe some lanterns. It was a table with uh, 12 guys around it or more. And they reclined. They didn't sit in chairs. They kind of like, it was maybe like this. They would be reclined at the table. You don't have to have all that perfectly accurate. But can we take a few minutes and just imagine yourself and imagine all of us being there, doing this with Jesus and his disciples. Can we do that? I'll be quiet and let you just imagine. Put yourself back there as best you can. I know whenever I'm trying to imagine and meditate on a passage of scripture with Jesus, I always used to go, to start, I'd go to the most familiar dramatization of Jesus' life. Today it would be the chosen, and you'd have him be Jesus. But I found as I went on in that, that usually Jesus' face isn't visible which I think is probably right because we don't really know what Jesus looked like. But try to imagine being there at the Last Supper when Jesus did this. I did pretty well earlier today with this. I'm not doing very well at all now. I've got too much on my mind. (laughs) And you may be the same. But I wanted to give you a chance just to do that. And here's why. First of all, personalizing and meditating in Scripture is very important, no matter what it is. But in this case, notice what Jesus says in Mark, which we just read. I tell you, I will not... Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Drink it new with us in the kingdom of God. Here's how this worked at Passover. There were four cups of wine. It's associated with Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. The Jews had four cups. The first one was when it said, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, the cup of bringing out. The second one was the cup of freedom. I will, bring, I will free you from being slaves to them. I'm not giving the exact terms here, but they're ba- the first one's based on bringing them out of Egypt. The second cup of the Passover that they drank was on freedom from slavery. The third cup was redemption, the cup of redemption. 
I will redeem you, it says in Exodus, with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. This is, by the way, the promise of the Passover and the Exodus out of Egypt. So the Jews had these cups they drank in recognition of what God had done. Jesus took the third cup, the cup of redemption. Get it? And said, this is my body. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Very appropriate that it would be the cup of redemption because we often use the term that we are redeemed, bought by Jesus' blood. He paid our penalty for sin. Now here's this third cup. There's a fourth cup. It's the cup of consummation. Associated with the, with the Lord's promise, he says in Exodus 6, 7, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. That was the fourth cup. And oddly enough, Jesus skipped the fourth cup. And instead of doing the fourth cup at this last supper, last Passover, he said, truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I've done the three cups, and I'm going to do the cup of redemption on the cross tomorrow. The fourth cup is going to be a little bit of a wait. I hope you're not too thirsty. Because it's going to be thousands of years, perhaps, but you're going to drink it with me in the kingdom of God. This is incredible. Why did we start by imagining ourselves in the Last Supper? Is this a weird preacher? Well, maybe so, but that's not the reason. Because we're still there. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, where are we? We're still at the Last Supper. It's not done. So every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're participating with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. Because Jesus is waiting to finish it until the day we're with him at the great table in heaven. Unbelievable truth, unbelievable power, unbelievable significance in this, what we know as communion. Here's the problem. We're so used to it. And we miss the significance. I want us to raise the bar of intensity on our celebration of the Lord's Supper. Raise it so high that we are totally flipping out over it. Because we should be. And we do it every week, which I think is awesome. But there's a danger in doing it every week in what? You get used to it. Now, by the way, I come from a tradition that does it monthly, and you can get just as used to it monthly as you can weekly. So that, it's not how often that even matters. All I'm saying is we need to do this with great meaning. It's that important. We are re-entering. We are realizing we're still there with them and the Last Supper. We have not yet completed what Jesus started the night before he died. So look forward. How amazing it is to be part of God's plan of salvation. If you turn over your outline. Look forward and realize how amazing it is that we're part of God's plan of salvation. Communion is celebrating the fulfillment of the Passover that Eric talked about in anticipation of what is called, and we'll look at it in a minute, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We have the Passover from Exodus. We have the Lord's Supper, 
And we have the marriage supper. And there's other references, by the way, to these things, to the marriage supper in particular. We're just taking, we're taking a very brief summary of some of these things. In the Passover, the Lord delivers Israel from Egypt. In the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating that Jesus Messiah delivers the world from sin and death. Fulfilling the Passover. And, but when the future marriage supper, Jesus will deliver his people to glory. And celebrate with them forever. Kind of like the, so the Revelation song we sang. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And it's a, it's a heavenly throne room scene where the people of God of all, every kingdom, tribe, and nation, and tongue are celebrating with him forever. Notice that passage from Ephesians on your outline. I don't expect you to quite get what it's saying just looking at it, but I'll tell you why it's there. It's, it's, it's in the middle of a passage talking about all the blessings. Uh, you've been blessed, it says in chapter 1, verse 3 of Ephesians, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he says, one of the blessings, with all wisdom and understanding... God made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Anyone want to tell me what that means and what that has to do with anything? Here's what it's saying. One of the blessings, one of the all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places is that we understand God's big plan. We know from beginning to end. When I say understand, we know what it is. Do we understand how this is going to happen? Of course not. But we know that in the end, all things are going to be brought underneath Jesus Christ. But we'll be celebrating with him at the marriage supper. We'll be drinking the cup. We'll be fulfilling and finally finishing the last supper. And celebrating forever. Because Jesus is Lord. What a blessing. Is that something you want to know? Is that something you want to be a part of? That's one of the great spiritual blessings. In other words, you have a seat at the table. You have a seat at God's table. Anybody glad to know that in Christ, you are included in God's table? You're one of his children. You're, you, ha you belong there. He wants you there. Whoa! God wants me there. <laughs> Many have said the way to have purpose in life is to be devoted to a cause much larger than yourself. Wow, do we have a cause much larger than ourselves? We have God's eternal plan. Remember what Macbeth said. Tomorrow, are some of you guys seniors in high school? Did you read Macbeth? I thought so. Tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, creeps in this petty place, pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. Is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. <laughs> How wrong can you be if you're in Christ? 
That's the, we are the exact opposite. We are complete, our lives are completely significant, both now and forever. We have no problem knowing the purpose of life and no problem knowing why we're here and no problem knowing why we should get up in the morning and what our lives are about. How wonderful to be part of God's plan of salvation, to know God is in control and he's going to make it all right and he's going to guide me from now all the way into eternity. And you, brother and sister, have a seat at the table when God calls us all to gather at the great celebration. Look forward. How amazing to be part of God's plan. Secondly, look forward how, and see how devoted Jesus is to us. Look at the scripture from Luke. I just want to highlight this one thing. When the hour came, Luke twenty-two fourteen, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. See what I mean? They reclined at the table. And he said to them, get this. Don't read this in church, boys. Read this like, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus says, I have eagerly, I really want to have this Passover with you before I go to the cross. How much does Jesus love us? How devoted is he to us? That he went to the cross, but he says to his disciples, and he would say the same thing to us, I want to have this supper with you. I want you to share it with me now, and I can't wait for the day when we share it in the kingdom in heaven. I can't wait for the day when we drink the fourth cup together. Say, buddy, take the cup and pass it to Marcia. And then you pass it over to Tim and over to Amanda and so forth and go all the way around. And Jesus says, I can't wait for that to happen. The same event is in John 13, 1. It was the same event, it just is told the different details of it. But notice what it says. This is where Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but it says, just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. See, Jesus was filled with love, and he couldn't wait to have this Passover. And he so loved the world, he so loved us, he, he went to the cross for us, and he wants us to celebrate with him now, and he can't wait for the day when he brings us into the kingdom around the table where you, brother and sister, have a seat at the table. Did I mention that you have a seat at the table? Oh, I didn't remember if I said that already. Well, you have a seat at the table, just in case I was absent-minded, forgot to tell you. And does Jesus want you to be there? Yes. Is Jesus eager for you to be there? Have I told you this already? Okay, I didn't, can't remember. I still have COVID brain. Look forward, third of all. Look forward. How great is the hope that awaits us in heaven? How great is the hope that awaits us in heaven? Notice how he says <clears throat> in Mark, 
This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And then in verse 25 of Mark 14, he says, Truly I tell you, an oath. I assure you, I'm not going to drink from it again until the fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of heaven. It tells us two things. Number one, Jesus promises he won't do this until we're with him. Number two, he promises it will take place. He won't do it without you, but it will certainly take place when you're with him. I can't, I mean, I don't know how to make this any better news. Did I mention you have a seat at the table? Okay, you must have a better memory. I didn't remember if I told you. It's an oath. He won't do it without you. It's a guarantee that he will do it when you're there. Look forward. Look ahead with hope. Look, join me in Isaiah. Uh, look, uh, look, join me with on the screen. And we're going to see a couple examples. I, we, I've used the term marriage supper of the lamb. You say, what is the marriage supper of the lamb? I'm glad you asked. On this mountain, this is from Isaiah. The, this is the Old Testament, remember? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meals and the finest of wines. <clears throat> On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In this day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in this. Salvation. Amen. The hand of the Lord will... Oh, we can stop there. Isn't that cool? You know, salvation, one word there. It's his salvation. And because are you saved? Are you at that table? Okay, I wasn't sure. To, to Revelation chapter 19, the end of the Bible, where we see this portrayed. In Revelation 19, we read why we talk about the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage supper, the wedding supper of the Lamb. I so love ProPresenter. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Revelation 19.6. I heard what sounded like a great multitude. There it is. Like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters. And like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah. For the Lord our God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Are you invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb? You're invited? Yes. Am I invited? Yes. 
Do we have a seat at the table? Yes. How great is our hope in Christ. And every time we celebrate communion, we remember what he did for us. We remember that God has always dwelt with and delivered his people from Egypt, from sin and death, all peoples of all nations, and we remember what Jesus did, and then we say, we remember that someday he's going to complete this last supper. He's going to finish the last Passover celebration by taking the fourth cup, but he said, I vow to you I will not do it until you're with me. But then I vow that it absolutely will happen at this event in Revelation. Blessed are those who are invited to share the fourth cup with Jesus. That's what we recognize, this big arching theme of scripture and redemption all the way through the Bible when we take communion. That's why we don't want communion to be something we take lightly. We also don't want it to be something somber. Does this look like something somber? <laughs> I mean, I could just laugh and say somber. Is it sad to know that you have a seat at the table? Well, I better make sure one more time so I don't want you to be sad. Don't want it to ever be said that you left here sad because of me. Do you have a seat at the table with Christ? Yes. Amen. Bob, can you come up and help us remember that? It is so good to remember to have been taught by both Eric and Bob today. We have understood that God has a purpose for the communion that we share. It's a dynamic thing because it is ever flowing. From this moment onward, it's a celebration to be sure. But in this, I want to say that you know, um, the Bible has taught, scholars have taught, rabbis and preachers have taught that the bread represents a spiritual benefit from God. It's the sustaining presence and his provision for the bread during or after the Passover meal. The people went into the desert and imagine how quickly our supplies would diminish once we had a meal or two in the desert and we look around, we find no provision. They come before God and he said, I'm going to send it from heaven. And they received manna, the bread of life. And they would go out and collect this and they would bring it back and they would have a meal with this. They couldn't store it it would spoil. So each day they would go out and get their provision and was there. How important is it to have the people know that? And they traveled throughout the desert receiving the manna. And I know many of us have experienced ups and downs in the last year. We kind of look forward and we say, well, what's this next year look like? How do I get through this? How do I please God? 
And how am I to receive the spiritual provision? In John 6, after the feeding of 5,000, Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. I'm the bread of life. He's saying this is the very word of God who was at the beginning has been made flesh. And so we can see in this, this supper, when Jesus lifts up the loaf and blesses it, it is the bread of heaven, the bread of life. It's Christ's provision for us. And it is reflected back to Isaiah, and I went back to Isaiah 43, 9, 19. It says, Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make the way in the wilderness, going forward into the desert, and I will make rivers in the desert. And you look at that as the new year. All our fear and trepidation, no, we follow Christ. And Christ is going before us, and he will make a way. He will make a road, a path, rivers in the desert for us to follow. But then what do we do with that? Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 read, be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So each day we pause and we put on Christ his righteousness and his holiness and there's an eager anticipation that Christ's presence in us is going to renew us And then in 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So each day, we nibble at the manna, God's provision, and we become renewed and revigorated we put on our new selves. And so as we walk away from the table, we're not just walking away from something, we're walking to something. We're walking to today and tomorrow and the whole new year. And we remember that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took that bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, for this is my body. This is the flesh of the new covenant. And then he took the cup. And again, he raised it. He blessed it. He gave it to his disciples saying, this is a new covenant of my in my blood and given for remission of sins for you and for many. Drink you all of this. 
Now let us pray. Oh God, you have begun a new work in us. We have new provisions. We have new insights. And we ask you to walk with us daily. That we might walk in your way and follow your lead and your will for our lives. And we ask that you might bless us as we leave this place, as we enter into newness in you. And now, O oh God, in all things we ask you, you to be blessed. And we to understand the privilege of having a seat at this table and being able to go forth. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.